Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Hey, next week we'll be back in the book of Revelation. And we've had a couple week break. I was gone last week. And thank you, Pastor Daniel, for filling in and sharing God's Word with our people. And uh, looking forward to getting back into Revelation. We'll be in chapter 4. So according to the outline God gives us in Revelation 119, um, John was supposed to write about the things which had been, that's chapter 1, and the things which are, chapters 2 and 3. And then really from chapter 4 on through the rest of the book of Revelation, you have uh, the things which, which shall be, even for us, things that are ahead. And so um, I guess probably what a lot of people are waiting to hear about in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5 are kind of like an interlude. And I don't know if you like sneak peeks or previews, but what we get in Revelation 4 and 5 is a preview of heaven. We get this awesome glimpse of heaven. And so I sure encourage you to come out next week as we continue on in that study. But it's our privilege this morning uh, to ordain a new deacon for service here uh, at Dublin First Baptist. That's a rare and special thing, especially for a Sunday morning service. I think the last one we did was your father-in-law, or your father, stepfather, uh, Rodney. We did his. It was a Sunday night, if I remember right. And before we bring Alan Ramsey up here to officially install him as an ordained deacon for ministry, it's important we turn to Acts chapter 6. I'll ask you to do that now. Go to Acts chapter 6. And it tells us there why we're about to do what we're going to do here uh, this morning. As you're turning there, um, so I'm going to go off script here a little bit and just felt led of the Lord to do this because um, Alan and I have known each other for a while. We were co-workers at, at Delton. We were making guns back in the day. Uh, AR-15s, we had a lot of fun doing, well, some fun doing that. Uh, and uh, it's not as fun as you think it would be. Um, but uh, yeah, that's when I first met him. And at that time, I had already gone to Bible college and, and I was working at a church. It was a layman in ministry in Fayetteville. And Alan, uh, I guess he was going here in Lake Church. And he had been going to Carolina Bible College. And I remember at uh, times, you know, helping him somewhat. I mean, we didn't really help him, but he'd have questions. I got this class in Habakkuk, and we, you know, during a break, we'd be talking about God's Word while we were both there. And, um, and then uh, I left Delton, and I, I went working at the church that we used to go to at, at Favo, working in the Christian school there. And then I felt led of the Lord to enter the ministry, and we started looking for a church. And uh, Krista and I had gone up, and, and uh, I had preached at a church near Goldsboro, a tiny little town called Fremont, and, and they were, I mean, honestly, they were fixing to call me. We didn't really have a peace about going there. We, I mean, if God wanted us to move, we'd move, but we liked Bladen County. We liked where we were, and, um, and, and then I, I happened to see on the New South River Baptist Association on their website, that's what Dr. White's over, over Fayetteville, Hoke, and Sampson County, I saw an ad for a youth pastor position in Dublin. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I mean, I just feel like God wants me to be a pastor. It doesn't have to be a lead pastor. I mean, youth pastor. I don't know. Let's just see where this goes. And um, I applied. And I remember um, Ben Tyler, he was the chairman of the personnel committee. And he, he called me and he set up, an, he can come and uh, we're have an interview. So yeah, I'll do that. And um, so we were praying about that. And um, 
And then I remember in the in-between time, I said, well, if this is something, I, I remember looking at Facebook. Um, that's what everything was back then. It was on Facebook, like videos of church services and things like that. And I wanted to watch and make sure, is this a place I could serve? Is this a place I could grow? Is this a place my wife could grow? Um, we had never gone to a Southern Baptist church before. We were raised independent Baptist, so I want to make sure it would be a good fit for her and things. And I, I liked the preaching, and I thought, well, this looks good. And so, uh, but then I saw something on there. I saw on the Facebook post, I saw Alan Ramsey. I hadn't seen him in like five or six years. And I thought, my goodness, let me call him and see. Like, I thought he went to Lake Church. I didn't know y'all, you know, had planted that church. And so uh, I, I, I called up Alan and I said, do you... Do you go to Dublin First Baptist? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I saw, I saw a picture of you with the teenagers there. And he's like, yeah, I was working with the youth there. And I said, oh, okay. I said, wow. I said, well, this is interesting because this Thursday night I have an interview there to be youth pastor. And he said, well, that is interesting because this Thursday night I have an interview there to be youth pastor. <laughs> and I said, oh, my goodness. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to go. Because uh, I knew, you know, that God had been, you know, he sent you to Carolina Bible College and you had some interest in that. And, he, and Alan told me that day on the phone, he said, no, no, you go, you go. And I asked Kristen, she said, you know what, it'd be good practice if nothing else, go interview, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I went and I interviewed here. And uh, it was funny because, so what they did is personnel committee was, because uh, this wasn't a pastor position, I think it was youth leader or something like that. So personnel committee and youth committee they personnel committee was down there in a the deacon boardroom, and, and our youth committee was down here in that room. And Tanya, you were there, I think, and, and a couple of y'all, Scott Bell and Craig Lennon, and I, think, I can't remember everybody who was there. Uh, Larry Reich, you were there. I remember you asked me a question. You asked me what I like to do in my spare time. I said, I don't know, every once in a while I like to go fishing. And you went, oh, goodness. And, uh, <laughs> but um, I remember we both pulled up in the parking lot at about 10 till, and I got out and said, hey, man, what's up? And I gave him a hug, and then we high-fived. And Ben was out there, and he's like, y'all know each other? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, well, he said, well, this is a little awkward. I said, yeah, it's a little awkward. So I got interviewed there, he got interviewed there, and we passed in the halls and high-fived each other on the way to the other one. And look, I say all that because this family is dear to me. Because, um, I mean, we know what ended up happening, what, God, what God's will was, you know, and... Um, I can't, Alan, you've been nothing but supportive of me. Tracy, you've been nothing, all y'all. And I thank you for that. I mean, yeah, we love you. I love you. Yeah. And so I just thank God for that. And, and um, I mean, this special day, I, I'm thankful for Alan seeing the growth in his life over the last few years. I mean, he's been faithful as our Awana director for the last two, I think, two solid years. And Candace, his wife, I mean, she does all the Facebook posts that you all see in Awana. She does a great job in graphic design and making them look appealing. And, and she's kind of the behind-the-scenes girl that really probably keeps your whole family running smooth, if we're honest. And um, just thankful for them. And so, um, Double First Baptist Church, we're a church that follows this book. Amen. All right, and, um, and I mean that, because probably just about any church is going to say uh, that they do. But let me be clear what our stand is on this matter. Uh, we believe this book to be the inspired word of God, uh, the actual words of God to us, and we believe that it's inerrant. We um, believe because the author is perfect, well, so is 
It's every word, and we believe this book is sufficient. If you and I have some need in life, if we've got some question, I assure you this book will address and will meet that need. It will give us guidance. And so it's in this book, in Acts chapter 6, and in what we read earlier in 1 Timothy 3. Those are the two main places that it talks about the office of the deacon in God's word. Deacons and what they do for the Lord in the church uh, and that's not something that man created. We didn't just come up with this role. Um, and this is something that God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, who inspired God's word, he created, he gave to the church the office of a deacon. And so on this special morning here at Dublin First Baptist, let's look at the biblical basis for the diaconate. Let's read verses 1 to 7, Acts chapter 6. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists or the Greeks because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable. It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, uh, if you looked at the front of your bulletin, don't get scared because there's five points on there instead of the usual three. I promise this isn't going to be any longer than normal service. Uh, first of all, we're told in verses 1 and 2 the cause for deacons, um, how this all came about. Quite simply, the apostles, they were getting worn out. Uh, they couldn't properly do what God had called them to do. A problem arose. It was a good problem to have uh, if we look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, this problem existed because it says in, the, in those days, the number of the disciples were multiplied. So this is a church that's growing. People are getting saved. <laughs> People are turning in faith to Jesus. More and more people are becoming part of the church of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. And I think sometimes we just, like, we can just enter into Acts chapter 6 here and, and be reading about the de deacons, you know, the creation of the office of a deacon. We can forget, like, the whole context of where this passage is in Scripture. See, um, in Acts 6, at this point, there was only one church, only one church, the main church at Jerusalem. The, the church that had only recently been created on the day of Pentecost back in chapters uh, 2 and, and 3. And we know over 3,000 people got saved that day. Uh, that's what Acts 2 tells us. And it says uh, near the end of it that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. But back here in verse 1, the 12 apostles, at this point, they're functioning like uh, the pastors of the church. They're praying, uh, they're preaching. They're teaching God's people in the church what it means to be a Jesus follower. These pastor-like apostles, they're made aware that there arose a murmuring, it says, of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. So there's a problem. It's a very practical problem. There's actually two problems here. First of all, you've got the actual problem. Some of these Christian Jews who were from all over the world, they come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They spoke Greek and... Um, and they were still there. They probably would have gone home, 
but they had gotten saved and they wanted to stay and learn what it meant to be a Jesus follower, their widows were not being treated in the same way as those of Jewish Christians who spoke actually Aramaic at the time. It's a Hebrew, but they spoke Aramaic at the time. Now, that might be kind of confusing. We might not understand all of the cultural or, or ethnic intricacies that are, that are going on uh, here. That's okay. They're not really all that important to the, the point of what God's doing here. The problem was that there was partiality being displayed in the ministry there. And that's something that God's Word tells us ought never be part of the life of a Christian. Now, this partiality, I don't think it was intentional. It may have been um, accidental, but that really doesn't matter because the perspective that it was going on was there in perspective itself as a powerful force. Uh, partiality was occurring, whether intentional or accidental. And so that's the first problem. That's the actual problem. But see, the second is that there arose a murmuring about this situation, murmuring. And that's another thing that's not supposed to be part of the life of a Christian. Murmur, that's a sin. <laughs> Murmuring's a sin, usually about another sin that often leads to other sins if it's not addressed, uh, like division among Christians. That's what was going on here right off the bat at the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And so the apostles, in verse 2, they call the church before them, the entire church, and they explain that this is not something that we should be overseeing. Um, this problem is going to have to be addressed another way because it also threatened to take the apostles away from their pastoral-type ministry of preaching and praying. The apostles say here, it's not reason. It makes no sense. It's not logical. It's not wise that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables, is what the King James, how it puts it. Uh, so there's a cause for deacons. And, and please understand, this is not just a, a necessity as a mother of invention type of thing going on here. Um, the office of the deacon in the church, it, it was definitely... Uh, directed by the Holy Spirit. And we saw in verse Timothy 3, that, that's just further evidence that God wants this office to be part of those who lead the church. Now let's consider the, the choosing of the deacons in verses 3 through 5. And so the apostles in these verses, they instruct the entire church to choose seven individuals to be assigned to this task of serving the church in practical ways. And we're going to get to a, a list of qualifications here uh, in verse 3 in a moment. But, but for now, I want you to just know, note this. Uh, it's important to note how the Bible describes these deacons as being chosen. Uh, is it the apostles who chose the individuals and told the church, well, here's your new seven leaders? Is that what happened here? No, not at all. Um, should it be the pastor who chooses who's going to be a deacon? No. Not some other leader, some convention, people outside of our church. Some, like, we don't have them in mean, on our form of worship, like bishop or or higher, or pope? Should they be? No. No. It says right here, the first seven deacons were chosen from those among you, verse 3. Seek out from among you. And if we went down to verse 5, that whole multitude, the entire church, that's who selected them. Now here at Dublin First Baptist Church, uh, we are a congregational church. Uh, other churches have different, like church, I could call them church government system how things are run in the church. Um, Methodists have what they call an Episcopal style, where, um, you know, like, like the United Methodist Church would, they'll have people um, above that church, you know, that, that tell the church what to do or who their pastor is or, you know, things like that. Um, Presbyterians have a Presbyterian style. The difference here in a congregational style that, that we use, the church decides who's going to be the pastor. The church decides who are going to be the deacons and the leadership of the church. 
No outside person is doing that. No outside group is doing that. And we are a congregational church because that's the only biblical church government model. That's the only one we find in God's word as Baptists, as people of the book. We need a biblical basis for everything that we do. God's word being our only rule for faith and practice for what goes on here. So, so how are deacons in a church to be chosen? By the congregation. That's what we're taught here. Now, this is simply my personal conviction, but I'm just sharing it with you to tell you how strong I feel about this. Um, when it's time to vote for deacons, usually we, we do that around the end of summer. We start praying a couple months before that, announcing to you all that it's about time to do that. You all vote for deacons. And just my personal, I don't vote for them. I, don't, I personally did not vote for any deacon here. I, don't, I sure don't campaign for so-and-so to be a deacon or this person to be a deacon. I just trust that God, our sovereign Lord, he's going to guide all of you. He's going to guide you to place the right men in that position to help me and to help the other pastors lead this church. As I believe that's the model we find in God's word. Now, verse 3 also talks about the characteristics of deacons. The apostles did give the church some guidance on what kind of individuals that these deacons should be. And you can see the list there in verse 3. Um, men. Honest men, they got a reputation for integrity, um, men who are full of the Holy Spirit. So not just somebody who's saved, not just somebody who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but it's to be a man who submitted every area of his life to the Lord. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to have emptied out anything else that's taken up space that would prevent him from filling you. And what else? Wise. We need that, amen? I do. Uh, I need you to choose men like this. Look, there are a lot of decisions to make here. Um, God's word tells us in Proverbs eleven fourteen that where no counsel is, the people fall. But there's wisdom uh, in a multitude of counselors. There's, there's safety in that. And I'm, I'm thankful, how thankful I am for the men that you all have chosen to serve here as deacons. I'm thankful that you give me nine men who meet these qualifications. They're honest. They're full of the spirit. They're wise. I'm thankful that we have here um, not a board of, of yes men, but they're more than willing to tell me when an idea might need to be fine-tuned a little. I'm thankful for that. They always want to make sure that what we do aligns with God's word and his purpose for our church. Now, earlier when Pastor uh, Tommy read scripture, we read a list of characteristics for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. And that's an expansion of this list here in Acts 2. Um, there it said that those men that you choose as deacons, they're to be reverent, um, not double-tongued. They shouldn't be saying one thing and doing another. They shouldn't um, be backbiting or gossiping. Not, not given to much wine, it said there in 1 Timothy 3. Not greedy. So, so men who are consistently faithful. This is their lifestyle. This is their testimony. They're consistently faithful to God's word. Uh, men who have a clear conscience. Uh, if the deacon is married, they don't have to be married, but if they are married... Well, their home ought to be impacted by their testimony. Uh, it says they should be the husband of one wife. Literally in the Greek, it says that they ought to be faithful to their spouse. So that's, a, that's an important role for the deacon. Uh, their lifestyle, their Christian leadership should impact their home. Their wives should be exhibiting these same traits. And together as Christian parents, it says they should rule their households well. So it should be a Christian family with a good testimony of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And these first deacons, men who met these qualifications, they were chosen. Acts 6, 5, it says here that the church chose Stephen and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. They chose seven. Well, if you look at the front of the bulletin, we got nine. God's word doesn't say, thou, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt have seven. 
Um, you can have however many you need, right? Uh, I, I'm thankful we've got nine here at our church in Fayetteville. Uh, I was a chairman of the deacons uh, during, let's say, early like 2012, 2013. And one night we lost our entire deacon board because a unit deployed from Fort Bragg. It's nice to have more than three or six or nine, right? Nice to have that number. That's what we use. Um, the church free to choose whatever is needed for their situation. Verse 6, it's where we see the church is then involved in the commissioning of deacons. What we're going to do here in a moment. And so the, the church, it brings these seven men to the apostles. The, the church, they tell the 12 apostles who are functioning in these pastor-like roles right now for this one really large church there in Jerusalem. They, they tell them, here's who we chose. And then pay attention to what happens next here. Uh, because it's going to happen right here this morning as well. Verse 6 says, And when they have prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, we call this ordination. It's the church coming together. We're coming together like we are this morning. We're collectively saying, This man was chosen by God through us to lead us. Now, we're going to have pastors who have been ordained here in a moment and deacons of this church. I'd invite those who are actively serving as well as those who have been ordained and you're on your one-year break or however many-year break you're going to have. I'd invite you up here as well. In fact, I'll even inv- I, I invite when we, when we do this here in a moment, uh, any other pastors or deacons, you might have been ordained in another church to come and be a part of us praying over Alan and commissioning uh, uh, this new deacon. Uh, well, when that occurs, this whole laying out of hands thing, I do want to stress, there's nothing magical um, going on there. Uh, we're just joining together to say in word and action. That's the action. We're saying... Hey, this is, is God's man. God chose this man. We as a church, we prayed for wisdom and voting and choosing men to serve as deacons. And this, this is one of those whom God sovereignly selected as a deacon to lead us. And so in this ordination service, we're commissioning Alan to the ministry that God has called him to here. Verse 6, that's our biblical basis for doing so. Now one last thing, calling of deacons, the calling of deacons. And I think verses 1 and 2 of this chapter make it clear what the calling, what the role of a deacon is in, in service to the church. They're servants. I mean, that's literally what deacon means in the Greek, diakonos. It means servant. It's one who helps take care of the practical issues and needs of the church. And here at Dublin First Baptist, one way that they do that is by also functioning as a body of elders, uh, kind of like they're a board of trustees. I'm thankful for that because doing so does what it did here. It frees myself and the other pastors up to focus on prayer, to focus on God's word, to to focus on doing what God has called us to do for the good of the church and our mission. It's our mission. And then what verse 7 is talking about, man, I love verse 7. I mean, this is the calling of a deacon, serving the church so that the word of God increases. So that the number of disciples multiplies through the ministries we have here and there and everywhere. That should be the collective goal of Dublin First Baptist Church because it's the goal of every single person that composes it. Every person that's a part of our church. We want the word of God to increase in calling people to salvation. Telling them how they can be born again and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We want the word of God to increase in the lives of Christians as we make disciples here. In a moment, we'll be going to Sunday school and the discipleship that happens there and in the youth group and in Awana and Sunday night service. We want Christians in the lives of, of Christians, the word of God to increase. We want that to happen here just like it did there in verse 7. We want the number of disciples 
multiply. That's what verse 7 says happened because of the creation and the ministry of the deacons. So my prayer is, Lord, may that be the testimony here through the men who serve here as deacon. Alan, as a new deacon, and the rest of the deacons at Dublin First Baptist Church, that's your calling. For the word of God to increase for the disciples to be multiplied through our mission here at Dublin First Baptist. And it's a calling that has eternal consequences and eternal rewards, so be faithful to it. Amen? I know you join me in in challenging and commissioning and, and urging our deacons to lead this way.